0: So the question at hand, it's, what is God's will for your life? And and this really plays in this idea of decision-making. And it's a really important question and something that I would hope that all of us want to know. What is God's will for your life? So if our purpose is to do God's will, supposedly, we should probably understand what His will is, right? And the verse that you guys read in Ephesians really uh, starts to address that, but we'll look at some other passages as well. Now, for some people, God's will seems sort of inscrutable, meaning we can think that knowing God's will requires some secret knowledge, and that we need to be extra spiritual to discern it. And a lot of this can really stem from a confusion about God's will, not only God's will in our own personal lives, but also about the will of God in general right? So it's not just a confusion about, you know, the questions that we ask, like, okay, what job should I take? Who should I marry? Where should I live? But what is God's will? Can you know God's will? And if you can, how do you know it? So I think it'd be appropriate for us to just maybe start off in a word of prayer, as, you know, a lot of things that we talk about tonight can have very real implications into the choices that you make in your life. And also has direct implications in even the counsel that you counsel others with. So I need the Lord's help for that, and uh, all of us do. So let's go ahead and pray. Father God, we are so thankful, Lord, that you have given us your word, you've given us guidance, Lord. Help us to be discerning people, Lord, and help us to know what your will is so that we can do that. And Father, I just pray that uh, we would maybe tonight be able to see past maybe some of the common worldly wisdom that we receive, Um, We may even believe to some degree as far as how to discern your will or how to make decisions, Lord. And I pray that we would submit ourselves to what your word has to say about it and what you desire of us, Lord. So we pray all of this in the name of Christ. Amen. All right. So what if I told you all right now who are here and those who are listening via live stream that you already know what God's will for your life is? Because you probably do. And I believe that while you don't know everything, each of us knows enough to be able to do the will of God. So we don't know everything, but we do know what we need to know to obey Him. He has granted us everything needed for life and for godliness, according to 2 Peter 1.3. Now, when we think about God's will, even as Christians, sometimes we think that God's will is kind of like a Indiana Jones movie. Uh, hopefully, that reference still makes sense for a lot of younger folks out there. Or there's some secret preset path through like a labyrinth or some ruins. And if we pick the right path, God, God will take us to a treasure at the end. That's his will. And if we make the wrong decisions and deviate from that predefined path, then we hit all the booby traps and we suffer for that, right? We might feel that if we can't figure out that exact path, then we can't do God's will. Well, that's not how God's will works. Sometimes there is a clear right and wrong, but other times there's just a choice. And what God wants from you is simply to act in faith. So first of all, what is God's will in general? I think a lot of confusion about God's will comes from a misunderstanding of how we define that we can use the term God's will when we say all things happen according to God's will. And other times we'll be talking about obedience as doing God's will. So which is it? Which which one of these things actually refers to God's will? So when we say God's will, we actually might be referring to distinct things. Isaiah 14, 24 says, The Lord of hosts has sworn... As I have planned, so shall it be, and as I have proposed, so shall it stand." Ephesians 1, 11 says, "...in Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will." So according to these verses, what is God's will? Well, according to these verses, God's will is God's sovereign purpose. God has a will that he is accomplishing, that can't be thwarted. Everything happens the way that he has purposed, and nothing can happen that he did not purpose. Some will call this God's sovereign or decreed will. What he, as a sovereign God of the universe, has decreed will happen. The question is, can you know God's sovereign or decreed will? And the answer is pretty simple. You only know the parts that he's revealed to you. If he reveals what he will do in his word, then we can be sure that it will come to pass. If he doesn't reveal it, then you can't know it. So perhaps our difficulty with discerning God's will is that we actually sometimes may want to know what his individual specific plan for the who, what, where, when, and how of our lives We want God to give us that map of that labyrinth so that we know where each decision will lead before we decide which way that we're going to go. Now, He does have a sovereign plan. Something is predetermined for our lives. And looking back, we can often start to see and be able to trace God's hand in bringing us to where we are at. But He doesn't burden us with the task of, you know, divining some secret will for our lives ahead of time. Many of us fear that, We'll take the wrong job, or buy the wrong house, or declare the wrong major, or marry the wrong person, and suddenly our lives are gonna blow up because of it. Then we'll be out of God's will, and we'll have failed at life, and we have to settle for the alternate ending to our lives. Not the happy ending, the the alternate one, the suboptimal one, if you chose wrong. But the will of God isn't like that, it's not so one dimensional. There is also a second aspect of God's will that scriptures refer to, and that's what we call God's commanded will, his commanded will, or the things that God desires of us. Uh, These are the things that God desires, but are not necessarily fulfilled. For example, God desires that we meditate on his word and do all that is written in it. Is that desire fulfilled? Maybe not always. Always. God calls us to not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. But do some believers find themselves unequally yoked? Yes, absolutely. What God desires from us, He commands from us. Earlier, I said that you probably already know what God's will for your life is, and I was referring to God's commanded will. The truth is, God does have a will for your life that He does want you to know, and he had people write it down for you, and he preserved it to the pages of inspired scripture. God's commanded will is sometimes also called God's revealed will, means he makes it known to you. And you might think that this is a little bit of a cop-out answer. You know, Kevin, I wanted to know what decision I should make regarding where should I live, what job should I take, who should I marry. And to that I would respond, we don't have any business knowing God's will, not God's non-revealed will if we're not obeying his revealed will. That's our priority. The overwhelming emphasis, if you read through the scriptures, isn't so much on discovering the will of God that you don't know, but it's about doing the will of God that you do know. And I'll say that again. The overwhelming emphasis in scripture is not discovering the will of God that you don't know, but it's doing the will of God that you do know. In other words, your focus shouldn't be so much on figuring out the specifics of God's sovereign will, but obeying the revealed will of God in His commandments. The biggest issue isn't that we lack information. It's that we don't act according to the information that we already have. So, we are to trust God's sovereign will. We are to obey God's commanded will. That's what we're called to do. And. I want to bring us to Deuteronomy 29.29. 29. This is a hugely helpful verse and one of I'm sure you've heard because it helps us to think both about God's sovereignty and also what our responsibility is. It's one of the places where we most clearly see both God's sovereign will and God's commanded will side by side. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. That's his sovereign will. But the things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. That's his revealed or commanded will. So it's not your responsibility to figure out his sovereign or decreed will. The secret things, who do they belong to? They belong to the Lord, right? Not to us. The secret things, the details of his particular sovereign will for your life, these things belong to him. He in his sovereignty, sovereignty in his ultimate wisdom, he has chosen not to reveal those things to us. Okay, so that's not yours. But what is yours? The things that are revealed. So what are the things that are revealed? It's the commanded will of God. It's the Bibles that you guys are holding in your hands right now. And according to this verse, this is what you have been given responsibility for. It's your responsibility to obey what has been given to you. It's not your responsibility to figure out what's going to happen tomorrow, but the Bible that you have in your hands, the inspired scriptures, the revealed will of God, that's yours. Take care of what's yours, he'll take care of what's his. So we can ask ourselves, what has God given me right now to be obedient with? And then we can do that. And as we obey, God's direction in our life will grow clearer. So I thought it would be helpful to spend some time looking at God's commanded will, specifically throughout the pages of Scripture. We're not going to cover every imperative in Scripture, obviously, or every command, but we're going to focus on a few areas uh, where Scripture explicitly will talk about what God's will is, and it will help us defi- define maybe some broad categories of what it looks like to be in God's will. And by the way, uh, the next few points is going to be based on a book written by John MacArthur called "Found God's Will." So I highly recommend uh, you picking up a copy of that if you want to dig a little bit further into this topic. So, firstly, God's will is drum roll, please, for you to be saved. For you to be saved. Thank you for those who actually did the drum roll. That was that was helpful. Second uh, Peter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So God's will is that we should not perish, but reach repentance. If you're not saved, His will is for you to be saved. And there's nothing else before that. That is the one thing that He wills for you in this moment. If you're not a believer and you're looking for God's will for you, the answer couldn't be any clearer for you. It's that you would be saved by putting your faith in Christ and receiving his righteousness. So you can't even begin the discussion of what God's will is for you unless you are first saved and you're given a brand new heart and a brand new mind. That's where it starts. Secondly, for those who are saved, it is God's will that you be spirit-filled, Spirit-filled. Ephesians 5, um, this is taken from the passage that you guys read earlier. Uh, I'll go from verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. To be filled, that's not just a static thing. It's about a dominance in your life. It's about control. So to be filled with the Spirit is more than just possessing the Spirit because all believers possess the Spirit. All believers have been given the Holy Spirit to indwell in them But, we may not always be filled with the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit, your life must be yielded over to the Spirit, not actively resisting the Spirit by walking in the flesh. To be filled with the Spirit is to be under the control and the influence of the Spirit, as contrasted with being under the influence and control of alcohol. So, how do you do this? It is by letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. And I heard some of you guys talking about this. If we turn to Colossians 3.16, this is a parallel passage. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So we see the same outward acts of teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness. But here in Colossians, we see these things as a consequence of letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly. So Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3, they connect being filled with the Spirit with letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Because to be controlled by the Spirit means that you're dominated by the Word of Christ, which was written by the Holy Spirit's inspiration and illuminated by the Holy Spirit, opening our eyes to understand it. So to be filled with the Spirit is to be saturated with Christ. And the only way to be saturated with Christ is to be saturated in the book that reveals who Christ is, that is all about Christ. And if we're doing that, Our decisions will reflect the Spirit's guidance in our lives, because our desires will reflect Christ's desires. So being filled with the Spirit is living in a way where you're conscious of Christ's presence in your life, and that is God's will. Not only that we are saved, but also that we are filled with the Spirit. So next, it is God's will that you be sanctified. It is God's will that you be sanctified. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3, starting in verse 3. For this is the will of God, so it tells us right here, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you to be sanctified, or holy, and specifically, it mentions abstaining from sexual immorality. So if you're struggling to discern the will of God in your life, one of the first questions we should be asking is whether we are abstaining from sexual immorality. Now, that might seem completely unrelated, but it's not. How is this relevant? Well, if we've been paying attention, we know exactly how this is relevant because we cannot discern God's will if we are already neglecting God's will, right? God's will for you is for you to be sanctified. God's will for you is to abstain from sexual immorality. And if you ignore that, why would we expect to understand the will of God for our lives? Because we're already ignoring it. It's like saying that we want We don't understand someone while at the same time just covering our ears and saying, I don't understand you, I don't understand you, because we're not listening. The question of sexual purity, that's not primarily a question of how far you can go before you cross the line into immorality, but it's a question of, again, control. Whether you are controlled by God or whether you are controlled by your lusts. That's really the question there. God has not called you to impurity, but to holiness. And to use our language of God's will, it is God's will that you be pure. And Paul gives us a warning that I think is worth mentioning. If we disregard this call to holiness, to sanctification, you're not disregarding man, but you're disregarding God who gives his Holy Spirit. So if you ignore this, brush it off, saying that purity is not relevant to your understanding of God's will. You're not ignoring me. You're not ignoring Paul, but you're ignoring God and His Spirit in you. Next, be submissive to authority. Be submissive to authority. And we'll look at 1 Peter 2, starting in verse 13, which says, be subject to for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So the authority that you have above you is an authority that has been delegated by God so we can't ignore or neglect the authorities that God has placed in our lives. And this does mean civil authorities, it mentions emperors and, you know, governors, but all those that God has given you, above you, as an authority, they are an extension of His provision and His protection over you. Now, this by no means means that the authorities that are above you are perfect. But unless there is a clear directive that is leading you to disobey God, then your submission to them is an extension of your obedience to God. This is the will of God and a preservation of your gospel testimony, as the passage states later. Next, be willing to suffer to do God's will. Be willing to suffer to do God's will. Philippians 1.29, it says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. First Peter 4.19, it says, Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So in the course of following God, suffering will come your way. The presence of suffering does not mean that you are outside of God's will. In fact, oftentimes, you suffer precisely because you are doing God's will. And Christ is the best example of this. So if we take a look at Isaiah 53, and I'm looking at verse 10, it says, "'Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. "'He has put him to grief. "'When his soul makes an offering for guilt, "'he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days, the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So it was the will of God that Christ suffered. And that was a part of God's plan for him to accomplish his purposes. And our calling is to share in the sufferings of Christ. Now, all these things that we just walked through, these are just a few of the areas where God's commanded will is clearly laid out for us. And there's obviously going to be a lot more in Scripture. But those were at least the ones covered in MacArthur's book, so the ones that I covered tonight. But what about the things that are not specifically outlined for you by the direct commands from God in His Word? What do we do about those decisions? So if you've committed to doing and following God's commanded will, after that, you have freedom. You have freedom. You know, at the risk of sounding too blunt and oversimplified, you can do what you want. You can act in faith. You can make your decisions and trust God with the results. And more specifically, the Scriptures say, delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. So it's about God's desires becoming your desires. So at this point, if you go through all those things, you are saved, you are spirit-filled, you are sanctified, you are submissive to authorities, you are willing to suffer for his purposes, what you desire is what God desires because he controls your desires. Your desires conform to his. And if your heart is delighting in the Lord, let me tell you something. It's actually a good thing to follow your heart, if your heart is delighting in the Lord. So here's the main point, guys. If you make your decisions from a heart that desires to please God, as someone who has been and is following what God has already revealed to you in his word, you will be in the will of God. And it won't be the wrong decision that you make. Even if it doesn't go as you intended to go, Even if you end up with hardship, or if you end up deciding something, and then you end up having to backtrack later on, it doesn't mean that it was the wrong decision. Sure, there are always principles that you have to consider, but in the end, God is most concerned with who you are. And who you are controls what you do and how you make your decisions. The question God cares about most is not, where should I live, or who should I marry, or should I take that job? But the question he's most concerned about is, do I love the Lord, my God, with all my heart? God cares about our salvation. He cares about our sanctification. He cares about our holiness. And it may sound weird, but to answer, where should I live? Wherever you can grow in sanctification. Who should I marry? Whoever it is that you would grow in holiness with. Which job should I take? Whichever job, you can become more like Christ. It's kind of weird to think about it that way, isn't it? So abide in Christ, pursue loving and worshiping God, trust in his sovereignty, then go and live delighting yourself in the Lord. I do want to end with some practical principles for decision-making, because God doesn't leave us without help. Without resources, without provisions, so even though we know His general commanded will, what provisions does God give to us when it comes time to decide those questions—where to live, who to marry, what job to take? Those things. So, in all the multitude of decisions that we face in our lives, what helps does God give us? And I thought it'd be um, interesting to start with some maybe some foolish ways that. We can make decisions. I had one of the questions I asked was, what are some of the unbiblical ways that people can discern God's will? So there are some wrong ways to do it. One of the more common ones you hear about is open doors. Open doors. I know this is the will of God because he opened this door for me and he closed this other door. And we really need to be careful about the open door, closed door method to discerning the will of God Remember the story of Jonah, this man who was clearly commanded revealed will of God to go to Nineveh, and instead, he found an open door. There was a ship going in the opposite direction, going to Tarshish. And imagine what's going on in Jonah's head. Oh, there's, there's an open door here. So obviously, this is God's providence for me to not go to Nineveh. This is the open door to Tarshish, and this must be God's will for me. The path of God's will is not always going to be the path of least resistance. And sure, God can and does work through providence. He does. But this is not the primary way that we discern what God's will is. For Jonah, the next ship to Tarshish had nothing to do with the Lord's leading and everything to do with his own disobedience. As John Street likes to say, open doors lead to elevator shafts. So all in all, Follow what you know, what God wants you to do. And if he happens to open a door in that process, you can go through it, thankfully. But don't disobey God to go through an open door, and don't disobey God to avoid a closed one. Next, what about watching for signs, or fleeces, as they're called? God wants you to know what what his will is for your life, and he'll make it clear to you if you just watch for the signs. So I'm assuming you guys know what fleeces are. Um, In Judges 6, Gideon laid out a wool fleece on the ground and set up some conditions for God. He told God, if only the wool gets wet and nothing else, then I know that you are going to save Israel. Is this commendable? It doesn't say anywhere that this is commendable. It was actually more of a lack of faith on Gideon's part and an act of cowardice than one of wise decision-making. So expecting God to do tricks for us or conform to our methods, that's not a good practice. As for supernatural signs in general, I'm not going to say that God doesn't use supernatural signs, because if you read the Scriptures, we see God guiding His people through things like spoken revelation, visions, and dreams, and prophets. And we even see bizarre things like a burning bush and a talking donkey. But the question is, if God uses signs as a normative means of communicating His will to us, then how in the world do you interpret those signs? Who set up the parameters of what a wet fleece means versus what a dry fleece means? We really have no way of validating any of this guidance that is apart from Scripture. So otherwise, how do you know if the fortune in the fortune cookie, if that's from God? It could be from Satan, or more likely, it's just a snack. God has already given us very clear guidance in His Word. So, how about we just use that? Inner peace. Oh, man, inner peace. Um, I know this is the will of God because I have peace in my heart about it. It sounds so holy. Um, Oftentimes, all the time, God wants me to share the gospel with someone. Many times, most times, I'm anxious about it. I don't know how they'll react to it. I'm not at peace about it. So therefore, it cannot be God's will for me to share the gospel with that person, right? No. If you're not at peace about a decision, in other words, if you're anxious about it, it doesn't necessarily mean it's the wrong decision or that it's not God's will for you. It just means you're anxious and that you need to repent of that, and then do what God wants you to do. And similarly, if we look at it from the inverse perspective, just because you have inner peace about something doesn't indicate that what you're doing is God's will. And surely God does grant peace to those who trust in Him, but God's peace is a consequence of trusting in God's character as you make your decisions. It's not the criteria by which you make your decisions. So those are just a few ways um, that, even in Christian circles, these things are mentioned and given as counsel. But let's talk about, then, what is the right way to receive guidance from God? What provisions has God supplied for us that we should take advantage of? So, number one, we need to seek God in prayer. Seek God in prayer. No matter what we do, we need to approach it with an attitude and a posture of humility and being led by God. When we need to make a major decision about our lives is the first impulse of our heart to be on our knees in prayer and asking the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, starting in 16, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Also in James 1:5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. God has provided and given you access to the throne of grace, and he will hear his children. So let's take advantage of that means that God has supplied. Next, search the scriptures. Search the scriptures. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path." So if discerning what you ought to do is fuzzy or murky, the light of Scripture, there's nothing like the letter of Scripture that can clarify things for us. And that doesn't necessarily mean that we'll get it right away, but many times God desires for us to really humble ourselves before Scripture and seek it out and to discern what God wants from us. And by, in doing so, especially if the answer doesn't come right away. It forces us into a place of dependence on Him. Sometimes, things are actually addressed directly in Scripture, too. So for those things, it's easy. Easy, I say, in that it's clear, not necessarily easy to obey all the time. But when Scripture directly addresses something, it is clear what we should do, we should obey. So, for example, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone command in Scripture. So if your brother sins against you, you have a direct commandment in Scripture that tells you what to do. Next, if something isn't directly said in Scripture, there are principles in Scripture that will clearly guide you. So you should follow those principles. For for example, um, should I go see that raunchy movie? Now, Scriptures don't say anything about raunchy movies, but what does it say? It says, flee immorality. It says, if you even look at a woman with lustful intent, you have already committed adultery. So follow the principles in Scripture. And one of the most foundational principles in Scripture that governs so much of what we do, all of what we do, 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And are our decisions all submitted to this principle. This should direct and control how we approach every decision that we make. And lastly, after you have sought God in prayer, you've searched the Scriptures, then solicit wisdom from godly counsel, or solicit godly counsel. Proverbs 15, 22, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Now, you have godly men and women in the church who can speak truth and speak wisdom to you. So take advantage of this. This is a provision from God. God supplied the church and instructed us to build one another up, to speak the truth and love to one another. And we would be foolish not to solicit counsel from godly men and women in the church. They can help point you to scriptures that you might have overlooked. Principles that you may have not seen that apply to your situation. They may be able to discern your blind spots, and we all have them. Or you may just lack the discernment and the prudence that comes just with the years of walking and trusting in God through different life circumstances. So you can solicit counsel, solicit godly wisdom through men and women in the church who God has supplied but you can also do that through Biblical Christian books as well. This one does come with a caution. Just because a book is published doesn't mean that it contains wisdom. Um, I would stick with the books that godly people who care for you recommend, but it's also helpful to practice discernment by evaluating books by how much they stay in line with the Scriptures, right? Because the Scriptures are the source of wisdom and truth. Books that align with Scripture are helpful and useful, books that say something new or something novel that depart from Scripture are not a good place for us to go. So after doing all these things, we can make our decisions. And here's the key, make your decisions having faith in a God who provides. Make your decisions having faith in a God who provides and directs. Romans 8 28, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. So He is working all things, even the decisions that you make with incomplete information for your good. And this doesn't mean that things will always turn out the way that you intend for them or hope for them to turn out, but it does mean that you will be taken care of. Look, if God secretly wanted you to choose plan A, and you're doing all these things and you end up choosing Plan B, you won't be able to thwart him by choosing Plan B. (laughs) Look what happened to Jonah. He chose Plan B and he still ended up at Plan A, just in a more roundabout way. Proverbs 16.9, The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps the Lord directs his steps. Your concern is just to be faithful with what God has revealed to you in Scripture through the different provisions that he has given to you. And he will be faithful to orchestrate your life and your circumstances to direct your steps to exactly where you're supposed to be. Let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful, Lord, for the wisdom of your word. And I pray for all of us here that we would be saturated in your word and that it would produce wisdom in us, that it would change us, that it would transform us into people who desire your will, who seek your will, who desire to do what you want, who have have your heart, and who have a renewed mind. And as we're transformed into these people, Lord, we know that our decisions will reflect your desires. Our decision will reflect what you want, and we also know we have the confidence of knowing that you are a God who provides. You're a God who protects. You're a God who saves. You're a God who knows what you're doing, and you are sovereign over all the decisions that we make in our lives, Lord. So we thank you for that assurance, and I just pray that we would grow in wisdom and discernment in these things. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.